You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Churches everywhere. Let's see here. Well, welcome. Good morning. For those of you who weren't in here early when we got earlier when we got started, no judgment. Uh, you know, it's filled of dreams. If you build it, they will come. At grace, if you just start it, they'll come. Just start it. Let's get started. And they'll, they'll come. They all, they all pile in here. So glad you are all are here um, this morning. Well, I'm one of the pastors here, service pastor for discipleship and care. And um, I'm get, grateful for the opportunity to get to preach this morning. Brad has gone to, uh, to Europe. He's in Switzerland, as you guys saw maybe on, on Faith Life this morning. He posted hello from Switzerland, prayers for the, uh, for the church this morning, and he's gone for the next two weeks. And then we have our youth group, many of our students, 20-something students maybe, and then, uh, <coughs> excuse me, some leaders, they're going to Chattanooga. They went with Wake Chapel Christian Church in Fuquay. They combined together with their youth group, and they're in Chattanooga, going to be serving in the city this week. So many of you have children gone this morning, and uh, a good group there. David's way on vacation, so here we are. I, uh, thank you, Tristan, for leading worship. I mean, he may have stepped out, and now he's back there. Thank you, Tristan, for leading worship as David's gone. And um, yeah, Keisha and, and Jeff are, are, are in Chatt- Chattanooga. Um, but David will preach next week, 1 Corinthians 5. I'm preaching 1 Corinthians Four this week. That's our text this morning. Brad began the book of First Corinthians some some months ago, and I know his aim. I believe is to finish by the end of the year. So thankfully, we get to continue through First Corinthians while while he's gone for these next these next couple of weeks. A lot of time, Brad will will understandably he'll want to you know continue the study in the book and for for us to preach something different. And um, and that's that's fine. But that's always kind of difficult for me to try to figure out like, gosh, what to what to preach? There's so there's so much in the Bible clearly what to preach. So it's nice whenever he says. Just uh, preach 1 Corinthians 4. So good news for me, my text was assigned. Bad news for you, it's a whole chapter. So buckle up. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. If you glance ahead to chapter 5, you'll see that I'm very grateful to not be preaching chapter 5. That'll be David for you all next week. So can't wait to see what he has to say. It's going to be good, though, I'm sure, and, and faithful um, to, the, to, to the text. But 1 Corinthians 4, 1 Corinthians 4 is this. I want you to know that Paul, in writing 1 Corinthians 4, is he's wanting, he's wanting the Corinthians to know what godly leadership looks like and how it differs from the world's ideals so that the Corinthians will know who to follow and, and how, how to follow. I'll, I'll say that one more time. That's, that's, a, that's a lot there. But the purpose Paul's writing here in chapter 4 is he wants the Corinthians to know how godly leadership differs from the world's ideals when it comes to leadership so that they'll know who to follow, so that they'll know how to follow. Spoiler alert, and I'm sure this won't be shocking to many of you though, the qualities of a Christian leader, they differ from the qualities the world desires in their leaders. Looking for different things, but sometimes we can forget about that. And when we're looking at Christian leaders, we can tend to evaluate them the same way we evaluate worldly leaders. Well, something um, that may get me booed off the stage here is that I don't care for Marvel movies. I'm going to level with you this morning when I tell you don't care for Marvel movies. I mean, I enjoy them when I watch them, sure, but I have no idea what I just watched. I don't really know what's going on. It doesn't make sense to me or where we are in the timeline. And My kids, you can explain it to me as much as you want. I'm not really listening. I just don't understand. I give up. I'm more of a Top Gun guy or just a baseball game guy. Um, but I still, I still enjoy it whenever I watch it, just don't remember it. It's not the movie's problem, it's my problem, I understand. It's, it's, it's not the movie, it's me. 
Uh, but there is one Marvel scene that made an impact on me some years ago that I actually do remember. And that comes from the, the movie 2011, Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, many of you, I'm sure, have seen that movie. If you haven't, I'm about to tell you an important part, or I just think it's important to me, impact on me. Um, but you've probably seen the movie, and if you've seen the movie, you're going to know the scene that I'm, that I'm going to be describing to you. But the movie, first of all, I like it because it has Tommy Lee Jones in it. And I'm a big Tommy Lee Jones fan. I love watching movies with Tommy Lee Jones. Same character in every movie. I don't care. That's what I want. I want him to be that character, talk like he does, and uh, love him in that movie. He's playing Colonel Phillips in, in Captain America, the first Avenger, Colonel, Colonel Phillips. Um, but they have brought together this small group of soldiers in this movie. And this small group of soldiers, have, they've been brought together because from within that small group of soldiers, they're going to pick one soldier. And from this one soldier is going to come this new breed of super soldiers. Okay, so they brought together the most fittest, the, the smartest, the best soldiers there are. They brought them together and they're going to pick one. Well, in this group, though, you have a man named Steve Rogers. Check him out there. Doesn't quite fit in, right? Steve Rogers. Um, he's scrawny. He's short. He's weak. He's, he's sickly. But he's been brought by Dr. Erskine for consideration because he knows that Steve Rogers has heart. Like, he really wants to fight for his country. So he lets him be brought in to be considered. And the scene that had a significant impact on me was a scene in which Dr. Erskine and Colonel Phillips, Jones's character, they're in disagreement. They're talking back and forth. You have the soldiers doing their exercises, and they're having this conversation. And as they're watching the soldiers do their exercises, Steve Rogers can't even do a push-up hardly. And he's sitting there, and he's trying to do jumping jacks. And Tommy Lee Jones' character, Colonel Phillips, says, it just makes me want to cry watching him try to do a jumping jack. It's horrible. Um, he says, I, I let it pass that you brought a 90-pound asthmatic on my, um, on my base, but to consider him to be picked is just plain ridiculous. There's no way this is our man. Colonel Phillips says, Hodge is our man. That's who we need, Hodge. He's big, he's fast, he obeys orders. Hodge is the man. Hodge is a soldier. Then Dr. Erskine, he says, Hodge is a bully. Colonel Phillips chirps back, well, you don't win wars with niceness. You win wars with guts. And as he's saying that, he grabs a grenade, he pulls the pen out with his teeth, and he flicks it over among the group of soldiers who are working out, and he yells, grenade! And what happens is the soldiers all scatter. They run away, and then you have Hodge even. He, he goes around behind a jeep. He's hiding. But then scrawny Steve Rogers, lone Steve Rogers, is left there, and he runs, and he throws himself on top of the grenade, covers it up, and yells, get back, everyone, get back. Turned out to be a good dummy grenade. But in that moment, we learned, along with the soldiers and with Colonel Phillips, that real leadership isn't shown through appearances or words, shown through sacrifice. It's real leadership. Much like our lesson that Paul has for us today, that he had for the Corinthians in chapter 4. Paul's wanting the Corinthians to know how godly leadership, it differs from worldly leadership, of what their ideals are, so that we would know who to follow and how to follow. The main point today that I don't want you to leave without knowing is we are to identify and imitate godly leaders. Identify and imitate godly leaders. No doubt, the Corinthians, if they were there on that base that day, I'm sure if I were there on that base that day, I would have been with Colonel Phillips. We would have gone with Hodge over Rogers. 
and how tempting it is for Christians whenever we choose our leaders to evaluate the way the world evaluates and to have the ideals that the world has when it comes to picking a leader. It's easy to say to, well, look at his or her confidence. That's a leader. Look at his or her abilities. That's a leader. Look at his or her strength. That's a leader. Look at their accomplishments. Look at their following. That's a leader. Rarely do the words sacrifice or humility top the list. Rarely are they ever on the list at all. Over the last three weeks, Pastor Brad has covered chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. We had a little break in there because of VBS, but his last two sermons on 1 Corinthians were through chapter 3. And he has shown us how the Corinthians, they've created these divisions among themselves. And the divisions are based on who they follow. Some follow Apollos, some follow Paul, Cephas, Peter. They have these divisions they've created, and they're criticizing one another and each of the leaders. Bickering, competing, comparing. Paul saying, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. He knows that the Corinthians, they need a reset on how they are to think about Christian leaders. So this morning, we're going to look at all 21 verses of chapter 4. But to begin our time together, we're going to read just the first two verses. So as, as we do at Grace, as is our custom, I want to ask you to stand and hear the word of the Lord as I read just chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Very important verses as we begin our time this morning in chapter 4. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be, you may be seated. Well, from chapter four today, I'm going to have kind of three main points I'm going to give you. And under the first point, there's going to be some, some sub points that's going to help us know how to interact with, uh, with Christian leaders accordingly. So the, the first part here, we're going to look at verses one through seven, kind of that chunk. And from verses one through seven, I want you to know, you're going to see here that leaders are accountable to God. Leaders are accountable to God. Um, I used to years ago, buy and sell cars pretty, pretty regularly. It's what, what I did when I lived up in the mountains at camp. Um, we had junk. That's all we had. And, and I wanted better than junk, so I'd buy junk, and I'd sell it for a little bit more. Then I'd buy a little better junk, sell it for a little bit more, and then a little bit more better junk. So I would just buy cars and make a little money, and we'd just work our way up. So we finally made it to the 2005 Silver Honda Odyssey, the, the car we had been waiting on. We beat that thing to pieces, used it. It was a great vehicle. But every time I would buy and sell a car, I would usually find myself in the tag office in Spruce Pine because I'd get a new vehicle and I'd either turn in my tag or transfer it, you know, get a, pay, pay my taxes. So um, something I learned, though, with going to the Spruce Pine tag office up in the mountains where we lived is the lady in there was a tough lady. You didn't mess with that woman when it came to your car tags. You didn't give her any trouble. She wouldn't take it. I didn't give her trouble. She and I got along just well. I had my stuff together whenever I went in there. But I learned she let you have it if you didn't have your stuff ready. Well, I learned in the tag office, Spruce Pine, North Carolina, and I'm betting it's the same down here, the customer is not always right. They don't care what the customer thinks or says. Because the tag office lady, she's not working for the customer. No, she works for the government. She's serving the government. And you're not getting one buy on her. This tag lady wasn't accountable to the customers. She was accountable to the government. Christian leaders, who are they accountable to? God. 
Therefore, regard them as servants and stewards of God. Regard them as servants and stewards of God. Here again, verses 1 and 2. I want to read them to you. This is how one should regard us. Paul leaves no room to wonder. Clearly, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it was required of stewards that they be found faithful. So who are the apostles? Who is Paul? Who are Christian leaders? Not just people Servants of the people, not just stewards of the people's comfort, not just servants of the church and stewards of their agenda only. No, first and foremost, above it all, servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Simply put, Christian leaders, they are God's estate managers. They're serving God's people and they're carrying out God's work in God's ways. They're for Him. Serve Him a steward of him in his work. Paul, he knows. If you were in here earlier, whenever we began the service, I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first five verses. Paul knows uh, he doesn't measure up to the Corinthian standard of leadership. He, he, he admits that, how he came to them and the way he taught them. He knows he wasn't very impressive to them. And Paul's not just telling them, your standards for leadership are too high. He's not just telling them they're too low. No, Paul is saying your standards are just wrong. They're completely off base. You're looking at the wrong things. The world, it looks for impressiveness out of its leaders, but not God. What does God look for out of its leaders? As stewards of the mysteries of God, faithfulness. Sit. Faithfulness at the end of verse 2, that they may be found faithful. To whom? To God. And to God alone. Praise God that Paul's faithfulness, it wasn't determined on how the Corinthians saw him and what the Corinthians thought of him because he doesn't answer to them. Tag office lady in Spruce Pine could care less what I think of her. She doesn't answer to me. They're not sending out customer satisfaction surveys to find out. As long as the law is being followed and they're getting their taxes, that's all that matters. What matters for the Christian leader Servant of God, doing his work, a steward of God in his ways. Christian leaders, they're never going to live up to everyone's expectations. It's not, it's not possible. We don't even live up to our own expectations, those who are Christian leaders. Paul's going to say that in a minute. Thanks be to God that you and I are not the ones who will do the judging in the end. That's for our good. That's for Christian leaders' good. Thanks be to God that we're not the final judge in the end. Verses 3 through 5. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. The only thing that should matter to a servant of God, to a steward of the mysteries of God, a manager of what God has for them is the owner's assessment. That's what matters. And some of you need to hear that this morning. I need to hear that because I care way too much about what people think. I care too much about what you think. Maybe you're with me. We think too much, care too much about what people think. 
Christian leader or not, we can all stand to be reminded that in the end, the only thing that matters is God's assessment. He'll be the judge. For Paul, he's a servant of Christ. Therefore, his aim is to serve Christ, to please Christ. As the steward of the mysteries of God, Paul's aim is to share the gospel of salvation with as many who he has opportunity. Paul, he wants to share the gospel. He wants to share to these people, to all who will listen, that there is a way that sinful man can be saved from the wrath of God. And not just to be saved from the wrath of God, but there's a way for sinful man to be saved to God. What is needed is not impressiveness. What's needed is not knowledge, not strength, not skill. What's needed is admitted dependence that we have no hope. Admitted weakness. And we have no hope to stand before a righteous God based on our own merit. Sounds like something I might can follow. Something I might qualify for. The good news is that out of God's love for the world, he sent his son to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live and to die the death that you and I deserve. And through faith, through our admitted dependence, our admitted weakness, we can receive the merit of Jesus' perfect life in our place and we don't have to suffer the wrath of God that we all deserve. No, we can have new life, an empowered life that doesn't come with influence necessarily, doesn't come with strength necessarily, doesn't make you impressive necessarily, but it's eternal life with God. Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death forever. That can be your victory as well. He invites us into a new life, an eternal life, not separate from God, but with God. But that's not an impressive message for many. You mean it's for the weak? You mean it's for those who admit they're not good enough? It's for those who don't have confidence in themselves? That sounds like a foolish message. Exactly. The Corinthians, they were evaluating and judging Paul's ministry, Apollos' ministry, on worldly standards of leadership. They were looking at Paul's impressiveness, not the faithfulness of his message. Let's be careful. Don't be like the Corinthians. Let's not judge leaders definitively. Do not judge leaders definitively. Paul's not saying here, hey, don't evaluate ministries at all. No, clearly there's a time we evaluate ministries and we evaluate leaders. I mean, even Paul in Galatians 2 evaluates Peter's ministry. He clearly judges some to be false teachers. But let us be careful. Those who are effective, those who are genuine, who are sincere in their ministering, but they're not living up to your expectations or they're not meeting your standards, let's be careful because our evaluations have limits. But God has intimate knowledge, and he knows no limits. He's able to judge, whether it's a coworker, whether it's a, it's a family member, whether it's a church leader, whether it's someone in this room or not in this room. Let us be careful about judging the intentions of someone's heart because we can't know the heart. Only God does, and he will judge. And he will judge their faithfulness. Only he's even able to judge to plumb and judge the depths of our own heart. So Paul here, his conscience seems to be clear. Whatever the charges are being brought against him, his unimpressiveness, 
that they brought against him, Paul saying, hey, <laughs> I don't even judge myself. And the next statement can be either the most comforting or it can also be the most scary, maybe a bit of both, the second part of verse 5. But the Lord will come. Oh, there'll come a day. And when he does, things now hidden in darkness will be brought to light, and he will disclose the purpose, the purposes of the heart. Have you ever been in a situation where you were accused of having wrong intentions? I know I have. You're helpless. What can you do to defend yourself? They're accusing you for something you can't prove to be incorrect. I'm sure you've been there. Paul has been there too. Leader or not, God is the one you serve, and God knows your heart, and God will be the judge. So let us remember that too, when it comes to Christian leaders, God will be the one who judges the leaders. You can't know their hearts, and therefore you can't judge their faithfulness. Therefore, do not judge them definitively. Let's look at verse 6. I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us to not go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. So what's Paul talking about here, that, that what, 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 what has been written, we, we, we don't know what he's referring to because he, he doesn't quote it, but clearly whatever he's referring to that's been written, the point of it is the second part of verse 6. The point of what was written is that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. This is it. This is the issue. This is the central issue for the pride, the division that they have. I just gave it away. It's the pride. There it is. For the division that they have, the reason for it, they're puffed up. They're prideful. They judge out of their pride. They divide because of their pride. Do we judge out of pride? I judge out of pride. Do we divide out of pride? I know it's my tendency to divide out of pride. One of my closest experiences to this was whenever I was in high school, growing up in a little town, we had multiple big churches that actually had thriving youth groups. And churches got along, pastors got along, youth pastors got along. The youth groups didn't get along for some reason. We were divided over each other's youth pastors, their philosophy and ministry, the way we did things, that band over that band, these trips over that trip. Division. One of my best friends in middle school growing up, in high school, we grew separate because every time we were together, he would say something that would put down our church and my youth group and our youth pastor. Pride. Pride on my end. Pride on his end. The Corinthians, they think too highly of themselves. And what they're doing, they're going around and they're evaluating the leaders, they're evaluating those who follow the leaders by the wrong rubric. They're looking at their impressiveness, looking at the worldly standards of leadership, not faithfulness, which is God's rubric, and knowing that God is the one who will judge. So whether it's your pride that's dividing you from a Christian leader, or if it's your pride that's dividing you from someone else who follows a different leader, do not let your pride cause a divide. Do not let your pride cause a divide. Stop competing. Stop comparing. Whether it's this church's calendar over that church's calendar, or if it's this church's preaching over that church's preaching, or if it's this home group over that home group, or if it's the, the crocheting ministry over the basket weaving ministry, of which we have neither. Thank the Lord. 
Paul's saying, don't be puffed up in pride and criticize other people's ways because they don't measure up to your standards or they don't do things the way you think they ought to be done. Stop competing. Stop comparing. Don't let your pride be a cause for divide. Verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul essentially saying here, he's saying, who do you think made you who you are? (laughs) Who made you what you are? I mean, we might be tempted to define ourselves by and judge others by our accomplishments, so we think, or our intellect, or our education, or our social status, as if we had control of those things and they weren't given to us by God ultimately. Who gave you the next breath? Who gives you the next breath? The Lord. He's the giver of all. So we could go on and on. And Paul heard the Corinthians going on and on, as we'll get to in a second, of all of their reasons of how good they are. And Paul says, back up the bus. Wait a second. Who do you think you are? How do you think you became this way? Who gave you these things? Don't act like you are the creator of yourself and your situation and then hold others to those standards. Don't be prideful in thinking too highly of yourself. Don't let it cause a divide. Remember, Christian leaders don't have to measure up to you, but they are servants of Christ. They are stewards of God. And the heart is what God judges. And only he can judge the heart. Faithfulness to God, not our expectations. That's all that matters. For me, for you, for Christian leaders. Christian leaders are accountable to God. Therefore, regard them as servants and stewards of God. Do not judge them definitively. And do not let your pride cause a divide. Verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. Now, I didn't quite understand this at first whenever I read this. I'm, I'm, I get some things honest from my dad, and part of it is I don't always get a joke. My, my dad, he does not get jokes. I, I have a twin brother. We were joke-telling machines growing up. We were just letting him have it, all these jokes we heard. I don't remember any of the jokes because I don't, for the same reason I don't remember Marvel movies. I just don't remember them the way the Lord made me. But we, we would give him all these jokes, never even one smirk from the man. He doesn't, he can't be made to laugh. He just doesn't get it. It's not that he's stubborn. He doesn't get it. Some way I don't get it. He doesn't get the jokes. When I read this, I didn't quite get it. Because maybe like my dad, I don't pick up on the joke always and the sarcasm here. But thankfully, the commentators I read, they pick up on the sarcasm here. And the point that Paul's trying to make in this verse and the ones to follow. Paul's beginning to, well, he's becoming a little sarcastic with him. He's, he's going to try to get his point across because, remember, they're looking down on Paul. They're all high and mighty, impressive. They're quite something in the world standards. Leaders, many might would say. They're quite impressed with themselves. And Paul's playing out the contrast here saying, oh, this is who you think you are, rich kings already ruling. This is, this is what you think, but this is my reality down here. First verse 8, Paul's saying, You see yourselves as rich kings already ruling. They think they're superior, clearly. They think they have superior understanding. They think they have superior maturity over Paul. And that's why their lives are so affluent. 
It's like they're showing Paul, this is who you could be, like us. You could almost hear Paul laughing in the background, chuckling. You, you wish if, if you were ruling, then maybe I could rule too. That's not reality. Kind of like when the kid tells you, just write a check or just scan the car. It's, if only that's all it took. You got to have something to back it up. As if that's reality. Perception isn't always the reality. The truth is, the mature in Christ will reign. Yes, they will. And they will have all they need, but not according to worldly standards. The Corinthians reigning to the world and in their standards, well, it comes through influence, through riches. That's what it means to reign, power over people. But reigning in Paul's eyes, it's, it's done by Christ and for all of eternity. And it's embraced by sharing and suffering in this life. Christian leaders, they share in the cross. That's real leadership. That's real reigning. Christians, leaders, share in the cross. Paul, he's laying out here in verses 8 through 13, a comparison of what Pastor Brad often refers to, and I think you'd be happy that I'm pointing this out, a theology of the cross versus a theology of the of glory, which was originally articulated by, 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 by Luther, this idea, a way to identify two ways of living, two theologies, believing about God. Look at verses 9 through 13. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We're fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. See, see the comparison? <laughs> you think that one's reality, one's not here. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the, ref, the refuse of all things. So which is reality? Which is it? Which one is really reigning here? Who, who is more spiritual? Who should be lecturing here? I mean, who should be re- lecturing who here? Because the Corinthians have given Paul quite an earful by what he has heard. What's going on in the church and what's being said about him. No doubt. The world would respect the Corinthians most because, well, they have the confidence. The Corinthians, they have the influence. They have the riches. They have all they want. I mean, look, they're living like kings, they say. They're wise. They're strong. That's not the case for the apostles. Paul says, the apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, being a spectacle to the world. And whenever Paul would have said this, the Corinthians would have known what he's talking about. Whenever someone was condemned to death, capital punishment, the criminals would be paraded through the street, last of all, into the Colosseum, at the back, last to enter, in which they would then have to fight to a humiliating death for all the world to see. God has exhibited the apostles last of all, like men sentenced to death, being a spectacle to the world. They are men who are fools for Christ's sake. 
They're weak, they're held in disrepute, they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're poorly dressed and buffeted, they're homeless. They work for a living with their hands, they're lower class. They bless when they're reviled, endure when persecuted, they entreat when slandered. People say they're the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The comparison shows us here, you can either live for this world in the riches that it gives, or you can live for the next life. The Corinthians were living for this world. Paul clearly for the next. You gain this world through impressiveness. You may get your power. You may get your influence. You may get your riches. You may get your respect. The Corinthians, they were first in the eyes of the world, but the apostles, they had Christ. Last in the eyes of the world. Christian leaders, they share in the cross. The Corinthians, a theology of glory. Look, we know God. I mean, how can we know God? How can we not know God? Clearly, look at the evidence, our power, our riches, our influence, our strength. Versus what Paul is advocating for, it could be understood as the theology of the cross. We know God through sharing in Christ's sufferings. Look at verses 8 through 13 up on the screen or in your Bible. You tell me, who is more like Christ? The Corinthians or Paul? I think we know the answer. For Grace Community Church, let us not be deceived by our pride. As the Corinthians were, let us not think that we're more spiritually mature than our leaders or then our friends and Christians, brothers and sisters who may be different than us. Let us not sit in judgment over them because of their lack of impressiveness. Godly leaders aren't always impressive, but they are faithful in sharing in the sufferings of the cross. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. So I think the mamas would want me to say in here why Paul was very sarcastic. That's not a way you should regularly communicate, right? Paul's not saying you can be sarcastic, so you, you can't say, eh, Paul did. So I can. No, Paul's making a point here. He wants something to be understood. Sarcasm was the vehicle by which he made that point. But now Paul's saying, whoa, 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 all right, all right, all right. But here, Paul wants them to hear this. Here's his heart. Despite the unfair judgments his heart's not to shame them, no. His heart is to warn them out of his love for them. That's Paul's heart. Verses 15 through 17. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Just uh, a few days ago, I, I saw this video on YouTube that was comparing Tiger Woods and his son, Charlie Woods, thinks his name. And, and Tiger and Charlie, it showed them side by side in the screen, and, and you were comparing their mannerisms. It was wild. I don't know if any of you have seen this video. You ought to look it up. And, and the video is Tiger Woods watching the comparisons and responding to it. And, and his golf swing, they're the same. The way they even put the, put the club back down after they swing, the same. The way they pick up the tee, the way, the way they celebrate, the things they even say, they're the, they're the same. 
It's wild. Charlie imitates his dad, I'm sure, because he learned from his dad. But I'm also sure that Charlie's surrounded by many golf coaches and many golf influences. But he has one father, and that's who he most imitates. Paul, he shared the gospel with these Corinthians. And as any good father would do, he wants to set a good example for them. Even though I'm sure he's hurt, they've turned on him. They are unfairly judging him. But Paul's still appealing to them because he doesn't leave when they hurt him. No, he appeals to them. No, imitate me. Come on, imitate me. Why? Not because Paul thinks he's the best. I mean, that would go against everything we just read. Imitate me, Paul is saying, because I'm imitating Christ. The Corinthians, they had seen Christ. They hadn't seen Jesus, but Paul had. The Corinthians had no Bible. But Paul had heard Jesus' voice. It's through Paul that the Corinthians could know Jesus. It's through Paul that the Corinthians could know how to follow Jesus. Christian leaders should be imitated as they imitate Christ. It's the final point. Christian leaders should be imitated as they imitate Christ. I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, a small town um, on a lake called Logan Martin Lake. And I was very blessed. I would walk out my house, and my backyard was like paradise. We had this slough, body of water. We could ride the boat out or the jet skis or whatever. We'd swim out of the slough, and then you could go, and then you would be in the, the middle of the, the channel for the Coosa River, which made up Logan Martin Lake. It's paradise. I loved it. I loved it. Our backyard was incredible. Opened up the whole lake to us. But then our front yard had some different feelings. In our front yard, there was this bush that gave the straightest and the thinnest limbs that any mama could ever ask for. And some of you are laughing because you know exactly why a mama would want a bush with the straightest, thinnest limbs. Whenever I would act up and I wouldn't respond to her gentle warnings, my mama would send me to the front yard, send me to the yard to pick out a switch, of which I'd break off and I'd bring it back to her so then I could rightly receive the harsher correction because of my disobeying and not responding to the more gentle correction offered first. Here verses 18 through 21 from Paul. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Paul saying here, my beloved children, oh, I love you. Imitate me. Listen. Listen to my urging. Listen to my plea. Imitate me. Don't imitate the world. But if they won't respond to his gentle plea out of his love and his concern for them, he will use more extreme measures if needed. They think he won't follow up. They think, oh, Paul's not going to follow up. He's not going to come. Paul's going to call their bluff. Paul's saying, oh, you think I'm full of hot air? You're the ones who are all talk and no action. Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, that's living in light of the gospel. And that's power. Sacrifice. Impressive worldly living, that's not power. That's hot air. That's not reality. But power, that comes in sacrificial kingdom Living, sacrifice, the cross of Christ. 
That'll make you strong. Paul's not yet telling them to pick their switch. But he is asking them, will the gentle correction do here? Or are you going to require a harsher correction? Because the correction they will receive, they are receiving. Paul's saying, will the gentle correction do or will I need to bring a rod? Because as we'll see in chapter 5 next week, Paul's not afraid to employ harsher measures. Punishments of church discipline should softer warnings not be heeded and not be effective. The message today, it wasn't just for the Corinthians. Paul tells us, he says, I teach this everywhere I go. I teach this to every church. And this is the word of God left for us, given to us from God. It's for us today here too. Who are the spiritual fathers in your life? Who are the Pauls in your life? Imitate them as they imitate Christ. Don't unfairly judge their faithfulness as if you can know their heart. Know that they are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, of his gospel. Don't let your pride divide you from the Christian leaders in your life. As the Christian leaders in your life share in the sufferings of the cross, imitate them. Imitate them. Be a Timothy to a watching world, pointing others to the way of Christ. Identify and imitate Christian leaders. Let us pray. Father, thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus to save us from our sins. Thank you for Paul's ministry. Lord, thank you for the leaders in our life and the ministries they have had. Lord, help us to point others to Christ. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Lord, thank you for keeping us. May we live for your glory and respond today to your glory, and we know it'll be for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.